Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. All of life is about growing to your own personal best. All of life is about growing to greatness. But my life, it wasn't even supposed to happen. Wasn't even supposed to happen. My father and my mother were together one time. So I was born unwanted to a single mother, poor, in the backwoods of Mississippi. I was raped at nine years old, became pregnant when I was 14. The baby did not live. But I was a striver. I was always trying to prove myself. I became an A student. I excelled in everything. In high school, I was hired at the local radio station. Two years later, as a sophomore in college, I was hired in Nashville as a television reporter when I was 19 years old. A couple of years after that, I was working in Baltimore as an anchor woman. But it never felt like the right thing for me. Sitting, anchoring the news every night for the rest of my life would have been, for me, a slow death. And they put me on the local talk show they were creating called People Are Talking. And that is when I knew I was home. The day I did that talk show, I knew my life had just changed. Everybody has a story. And there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass. I was doing well in Baltimore, making $22,000 a year, but I'd been there eight years and I knew I'm not gonna grow here. I've always known when it was time to move on because that is something you feel inside yourself, that I've grown as much as I can grow here. I'm not gonna grow anymore here. Life is about growth and change. When you are no longer doing that, that is your whisper. That is your whisper that I am supposed to do something else. I am interested in seeing what the rest of the world has to offer me. And as it would happen, you know, I never lived with a plan. Every one of my coworkers had tapes that they kept, resumes that they were always working on. They cataloged their stories so they knew where their best stories were. I had none of that because I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a plan because I always believe do your best something will show up for yourself. So as it happened, Debbie DeMeo, who was a producer working in Baltimore with me, moved to Chicago. I was on her resume reel. Dennis Swanson sees her resume reel and says, who is that? And I get called in for an interview. Even before it was decided, I started singing to myself, Chicago, Chicago. So I started really 
trying to get in vibe, in sync with what that could be like for me going to Chicago. I came into Chicago, I auditioned, and Dennis Swanson told me that day, we want to hire you. Wow. All the naysayers said, you are moving to Chicago where Phil Donahue, who is the king of all talk shows, has his talk show? I remember getting called upstairs by my then boss and the boss sitting me down and said, who do you think you are? You are walking into landmines and you're not even prepared. You don't even know how bad this is going to be for you. You're going to die on the vine, he said to me. You're going to die on the vine. And I remember sitting there hearing it and thinking, well, that could happen. But I've grown all I can grow here. The whisper had gotten so loud that it was a message speaking to the heart of me, the soul of me, that it's time to go. So I took the job and moved to Chicago. January 1st, 1984 was my first day. I premiered with a bad jerry curl and a fur coat. I knew I was home. All I knew is I would be able to do it alone. I wouldn't have a co-host. And I thought, well, whatever that is, I can do it. We didn't have even a studio audience. There was nobody but the crew and these football players and myself. And I know I work much better with people because even in my little show in, in Baltimore, we'd have like 24 people in the audience. So for the first few weeks, months, my staff would go out and we would say to people, want to come in? We have coffee in here, it's warm. You can get warm for an hour. That's how we got our audience. And so you'd have a lot of homeless people and people who were looking for a warm place to stay for an hour. I was just literally flying by the seat of my pantyhose. And God bless Dennis Swanson. I remember sitting in Dennis Swanson's office saying to him, well, I know that I'm going to be up against Phil Donahue. Dennis said, I think you have a gift. And we know you can't beat Phil Donahue. We're not even asking for that. Right now, they were getting no rating, practically, like a point two. So he was saying, if we could just get a one, we could just get a one. We beat Phil Donahue first day out. Wow! 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 That very first day, nobody even imagined such a thing could happen. It was shocking. I guess everybody was home and they call their friends and say, you see that black girl on TV, you see her? She got a jerry curl and she big. I knew something was up when January 2nd, I went out on the street to Carson Peary Scott, which was a department store. And the walk was like a block and a half away. Every single person in that block knew me, knew my name and pronounced it. From that day on, the show became a phenomenon. It truly was. It's about nothing that I did, because when you look back at the tapes, it's just shockingly amazing that someone who looked like I did, with no level of sophistication, just big heart, great heart, and connection and empathy with the people, but no look, no dresser, no hairstylists, no just raw, just out there raw on TV could be successful. That could never happen in this day and time. It, could, it just couldn't happen. It wasn't even called the Oprah Winfrey Show, but after the first week, nobody said AM Chicago anymore. People started calling it. Do you see the Oprah Show? Do you see the Oprah Show? So shortly afterwards, 
by July, we had renamed it The Oprah Show. But the heart that I brought was what people felt. And my ability to be myself. The lesson that that taught me and has taught me over the years, anybody pretending to be anything other than who you really are, you will never, ever reach your personal potential. You cannot do it. So I think what we were able to do with this show was to take the torch that Phil Donahue had laid down, because really, there would be no me had there not been Phil. He literally opened that door for me and everybody else to walk through, and I did it my way. I walked through in the way that I felt was best for me, not trying to imitate him, because I'd learned that lesson. I can't beat Phil Donahue at being Phil Donahue. I can't beat Barbara Walters at being Barbara Walters, but I can be myself, and I can make the best of that. I remember thinking I wanted to be an actress, and my father saying, no daughter of mine is going to be laying on some casting couch. And my father, for years, I felt such shame about having brought shame to him by having a child out of wedlock that died shortly afterwards, but still the shame of it was there. So when my father said, no daughter of mine is going to be an actress, I just thought, OK, I, I won't be one. People doubt that your thoughts create reality for you. It doesn't if you're just sitting around thinking, I want something. It doesn't. But there's no question if the energy and the vibrational frequency is correct, is in sync with what is to come your way, that there is a space that you create that allows that to happen. And nothing more than the color purple explains that to me. That is what, that's what made a believer out of me. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. I read a review in the New York Times about the color purple on a Sunday morning. I got out of bed with my pajamas on, put the coat on over my pajamas, went to the bookstore to get the book after reading the review. I started reading it in the bookstore. Dear God, I'm 14 years old. Please tell me what's happening to me. That is my story. Oh my God, somebody else has this story? I go home, I finish the book that day. Before the bookstore closes, I'm back in the bookstore getting every book that they had, which I think was like eight at the time. I buy all of those books, I hand them out to everybody I know at work, and I become obsessed, literally obsessed with the color purple. And I would walk across the Wacker Street Bridge just so I could run into people who had not read the color purple. I didn't have a book club, so any way I can get you to read it is fine. And I would pass out these books. If somebody said, no, I hadn't heard of it, well, I happen to have one right here. And I heard that they were going to be doing a movie about the color purple. They was Steven Spielberg and Quincy Jones. And as it turns out, I start telling everybody, I'm going to be in that movie. I'm going to figure out a way to be in that movie. 
I get a call from a casting agent saying, we're casting for a movie called Moonsong. They called it Moonsong at the time. You're casting for a movie called Moonsong? You're sure it's not the color purple? Because I've been praying for the color purple. He goes, no, it's Moonsong. So I go to this audition on a day in Chicago where it was 72 below zero, so cold they had ropes out to keep people falling down. I had a cold, sore throat, swollen, and had wrapped my head. And I, it was so cold that when you walked outside, your eyelids froze. When I walked in there, I thought, oh my goodness, it is the color purple. Because I know every character. I've read the book. I read for the color purple and not only am I reading, I'm reading like for a major role. They want me to read for Sophia. She's married to Harpo. And Harpo is my name spelled backwards. So I think if that is not a sign from Jesus himself, I, don't, I never saw a sign bigger than that. So I audition, I audition, I hear nothing. I ended up months later calling the casting agent saying, I haven't heard anything. He said, you don't call me. What are you calling me for? I call you, and we have real actresses who are auditioning for this part. Alfred Woodard just left my office, he said. She's a real actress. You have no experience. So I hung up the phone, and I knew I'm not going to get the part. So I feel really terrible. I can't even believe this. I think this is a God trick. I think, well, God, what'd you do that for? Why did you take me to the audition, and I'm auditioning, and then it's a Harpo character, and then I'm not going to get it? So I think it's because I'm fat. So I go to this fat farm, and as I am running around the track by myself on a cold, rainy Wisconsin day, I start praying to God out loud, and I say, I don't get it. I really don't get it, God, but I know you do. I don't know if this is some kind of joke or, or what you're doing with me, but I thought you wanted me to have this part. And I want to be in the space where I can thank you for the opportunity, but I can't now. I can't. It's too hard. Please help me let it go. Help me to let it go. And I start singing, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my Blessed Savior, I surrender all. Now, that song just spontaneously came to me, but when you first start to sing it, you really can't surrender. You're just saying, okay, I'm gonna sing the song. I sang and I prayed and I sang and I prayed and I sang and I prayed and I cried until I could feel myself, let it go, and know you're gonna be all right. You're gonna be all right. And at first I thought, you're gonna be all right, but you won't be able to ever see the movie. You can't see the movie, but you'll be all right. And then I, I kept praying. I wanna to pray till I feel like I can actually go see the movie and I will be able to bless Alfred Woodard in the role. That I'll be able to say, it's a good thing you got it. I wanna be able to be able to do that. And in the moment, I could say, I can now see Alfred Woodard. I can, I can see that that can happen. And I will be OK. My life will go on, and I will not be bitter, and I will not be angry, and I will not hold that, and I will not feel for the rest of my life, she got it and I didn't. I want to have that kind of peace. 
And in the moment that happened to me, somebody comes running out to the track and says, there's a phone call for you. And there was Steven Spielberg calling to tell me that I hear you had a fat form. <laughs> and uh, he said, if you lose a pound, you could lose this part. And I ended up stopping at Dairy Queen to make sure I hadn't lost a pound. And the next day I was in his office at Amblin at Universal Studios and got the part. I would have to say one of the fundamental turning points in my life was the, the color purple. Nothing has had a greater impact on me, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, in determining my path. Because it literally changed my faith in that I could see it. It was real. It was real. God can dream a bigger dream for me for you than you could ever dream for yourself. When you've worked as hard and done as much and strived and tried and given and pled and bargained and hoped, surrender. When you have done all that you can do and there's nothing left for you to do, give it up. Give it up to that thing that is greater than yourself and let it then become a part of the flow. And I have never wanted anything as badly, as hard, as much as the color purple. And the wanting of it and then the surrendering of it is what taught me how to live in a space of letting go. You can dream this much, but God has a bigger dream that the color purple is then setting you up for the national Oprah Winfrey show. I didn't know that at the time. So when I ask, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do this? The bigger question is, what would you, God, the universe, have me do? I have known for a very long time that I am a blessed person and that to whom much is given, much is also required that you can't have all of this and not use it for something that is for the greater good. Your intention rules your life and determines the outcome. The success of AM Chicago quickly became the Oprah Winfrey show and then syndication came. My attorney at the time said, you should own yourself. Well, how am I gonna do that? He said, don't take a salary. Don't take a salary. You don't wanna be paid by them. What you want is to invest in yourself. And that is what I did. I thought, I will take the risk of owning myself, splitting the syndication deal, and bet on myself. And that's the best bet I ever made. If I never make another bet in my life, that was the best bet. We fretted for many months about what the first show should be and should it be Don Johnson. And we tried every celebrity in the world. We didn't know anything about anything certainly not about booking national guests. In the end, it didn't really matter what the first show was. What really mattered was setting the intention for what the show would be. The intention was to use the show as a vehicle for making a difference in people's lives, to allow people to become more of themselves, and to let people understand that there is a flow, a vibe, a connection that we all have and that we're all interconnected in this thing called the human experience, which makes us the, the human family. At the time, 
it was just a goal. It was just something that I felt inside myself that that is what I want to do. I want to use this platform to do this. There was competition from different talk shows. Sally Jesse Raphael, oh, what are we going to do? Sally Jesse Raphael. And then it was Geraldo Rivera, oh, we'll never survive, Geraldo Rivera. And over the years, Morton Downey Jr., Ricky Lake, every time it would happen, I would say to my team, well, doesn't matter, because every season, somebody else was coming out. One talk show, two, show, two talk shows, three talk shows. There have been over 100 talk shows since we started. But every time, I would feel like, all right, got to step up our game, got to step up our game. The way you step up your game is not to worry about the other guy in any situation, because you can't control the other guy. You cannot control the other guy. You only have control over yourself. So it's like running a race. The energy that it takes to look back and see where the other guys are takes energy away from you. And if they're too close, it scares you. So that's what I would say to my team all the time. Don't waste your time in the race looking back to see where the other guy is or what the other guy is doing. It's not about the other guy. It's about what can you do. You just need to run that race as hard as you can. You need to give it everything you've got all the time for yourself. For yourself. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. In the early years of the Oprah Winfrey show, 87, 88, 89, we were leaning more and more and more towards confrontational television. How does it make you feel knowing that he's lying to one of you? After two years, I don't have any more faith. I mean, after today, it's going to be, forget it. They don't plan a thing at my farm, and you, sir, are a liar. You're a pretty girl. You've got a great face. I could hardly wait till you lose the weight, and I'll be the first one to throw my arms around you. And I'll throw them right off. <laughs> the very idea of getting somebody on who was willing to confront somebody else on live TV was unheard of. What are you going to do when you grow up and one of your kids comes in and says, Mom, I'm homosexual. What are you going to do to that kid? Are you going to continue to love them? Or because you're a better parent than I am? I've got a gay son, and I'll tell you something. I'm a damn good parent. And I love my kids. The very idea of getting people to express their feelings, their emotions, cry, tell these stories that had never been told, say that they were abused, say that they had abused other people. Incredible. In the beginning, I was just like everybody else in television, and I'm just happy to get the job. My guests today call themselves skinheads. For some, the shaved heads in punk music is just fun, a form of teen rebelliousness. But a growing number of these young people are aligning themselves with a neo-Nazi philosophy. Somewhere around the late 80s, I was in the middle of interviewing some skinheads, and I had a big aha moment. What we want to do mm -hmm. is have a, a defined area for racially conscious white people the other white people who really don't care about their race and their heritage and all the great things white people have created, mm -hmm. they can go ahead and, and be in another area. I recognized that I wasn't helping anybody and that this is a platform. This isn't just a TV show. 
these guys are on TV and they're spewing out their hatred. And I'm thinking I'm interviewing them, exposing their hatred, but all the other people who agree with them are going, yeah. And I actually saw a guy in the audience go, yeah, you tell her, just like that. You just said, I don't sit with monkeys. You think because she's black, because I'm black, we're, we're, we're monkeys? Is that? That's a proven fact. That's a proven fact? <laughs> it's a proven fact that I'm a monkey? Well, it could be, but, you know, it's... <laughs> And that's when it hit me. Okay, I think I'm doing one thing, but I am really using this platform. This is a platform in which people get to say and expose their ideas. Is this the idea you want exposed and creating that energy in the world? I was following the path of least resistance and let's get the most ratings in controversial TV and let's put people together and gosh, it's good ratings. And they were tremendous ratings. So when I made a decision that I'm going to take a higher road because I cannot live with myself, I will not be able to live with myself. Once I made that decision, my life changed. My whole life changed. This became not about getting to work or getting ratings. I forgot about ratings. Other people worried about ratings, but I didn't do anything based on ratings. I did whatever I feel is going to best serve the viewer and serve me in the chair. I'm going to talk to people who I feel can make a difference. I'm going to talk to people who are going to bring a piece of themselves, a piece of the light of themselves and I'm not gonna waste my time doing anything else. I think that my gift is relating to people and I think that my gift is understanding that I'm not watching the viewers, but that I am the viewer. There's a difference between identifying with the viewer than being the viewer. So I have the power and the courage to ask the questions that I do and to be as intrusive or not because I'm not asking them based even on my own curiosity, but based upon what I feel represents what the viewer wants, thinks, needs. When I was working in Baltimore, doing People Are Talking with Richard Chair, a young woman who had been molested came on and that show and told a story that was so, that felt like it was my story. Molested by her uncles, tried to tell her family, nobody believed it. I was shaking when that interview was over because I wanted to say to her after the show, this happened to me, this happened to me. And that was the very first time it ever occurred to me that it actually had happened to someone else because I was one of those people who thought I'm the only person carrying this story. And years later when I came to Chicago, that exact same moment happened again and I had the courage to say, this happened to me. Hello everybody, I'm Oprah Winfrey. Our show today confronts a problem that is so widespread that chances are it is happening right in your very home and you may not even know it. It is a frightening problem because once it happens to you, it will more than likely happen to your children too. I speak from personal experience because I was raped by a relative. At the time, he was 19 years old. I hadn't seen or spoken to him since the day it happened, but I remember every single detail. You know, one of the hardest things in life to do is to confront your own molester. And with that pain often comes healing. And so I called him for the first time recently, and we talked about what happened 
23 years ago. He said to me that he was happily married with a couple of children now and didn't want to talk about what had happened 23 years ago. Besides, he explained, I thought you were a teenager then. I was nine years old. I felt pretty confident that my saying it would do the same thing for this person that I felt when I'd heard it the first time. I wanted this person I was talking to to know you are not alone. Not knowing it was going to open up the floodgates of everybody else then saying it happened to me. And that taught me a great lesson that taught me that we are not alone. We live in different spaces, different parts of the country, have different goals, but ultimately, we all want the same things. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that we were heard and that what we had to say meant something. Whether you're talking to your boss, whether you're talking to friends, everybody in every conversation, and particularly in every argument and disagreement, just wants to know. Did you hear me? And did what I say mean anything to you? Humans are the same all over the world. Even in countries where women aren't allowed to do much of anything, the Oprah Winfrey Show works. I had the most tumultuous childhood. And I would have to say the Oprah Show cured me. And I didn't get cured until my 40s did I actually get healed of that experience. I really never seriously considered having children because I was not willing to make the sacrifice required. And I do see it as an ultimate sacrifice. I think that the decision to have a child is a decision that you make in sacrifice. And so, I didn't have children because I knew that to have the life that I have and to be able to create the platform that I have, it was more important for me to be a teacher. That was the burning fire in my heart. In the same way that friends of mine, you would have had to have found a way to have children and would have had children no matter what. I never felt that. My calling was different. I would have to say, I've never had a day's therapy with all the crazy stuff that's happened in my life. I've never had a day's therapy, but the show has been the greatest therapy. It has been the greatest teacher, and it has taught me to be a teacher. I think that there is a great mystery that none of us will really fully get until we take the last breath. And I believe it will all become very clear in the last breath. I did a show once with a mother who had taken care of her son for a year as he died. In the last moment, she climbed into bed with him. And as he was dying, his last words were, Oh, Mom, it was so easy. He closed his eyes and died. And as she said that, another goosebump moment for me, I thought, yeah, I think it's going to be just like that, where you go, oh, gosh, it was so easy. Why were we struggling so hard? It was so easy. What I know is you got to take responsibility for the space you hold here. 
and understand that the third law of motion, which says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, that is my religion. That is the fundamental construct of my religion. And by that, I mean, I know that every thought that I think, every thought that I have that moves into action is going to create an opposite and equal reaction. So everything that I put out into the world is going to come back. It's the golden rule on steroids. The golden rule on steroids, it's true. That as you do unto others, they will do unto you. Mm -mm. It's already done. There is a flow. There's an energy field and a flow. That is also happening with us as human beings. We just haven't figured out what that is yet or how to channel it. But that is definitely going on. There's an energy field. There's an energy flow that I strongly feel in my own life. And I know lots of other people who do. You're either in flow or out of it. And if you're in flow, it's like this. It's like this. All the time, it's like this. It's like flowing with the stream. And the flow is in direct proportion to the center of yourself where God abides, where universal energy abides, where the divine within you abides. How far you are from the center, from the divineness of yourself, from your connection to source energy, that which created you, is how out of sync you are with your life, regardless of what you call it. When you can align with that, nobody can touch you. Gary Zukov calls that authentic power. In his book, Seed of the Soul, he says, when your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul, that is authentic power. And that's the only real power there is, because you're going to lose everything else. I don't care how beautiful you are. One day, your breasts are going to sag and your eyes are going to bag and you're not going to be as beautiful. And it doesn't matter how much Botox and how many times you get yourself pulled up and how many hairdos and how many makeovers or what you do, you know, that doesn't last. It's just like the most beautiful flowering tree. Everything passes and it's time. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much power you have, how high you sit on the Forbes list, how many times you make the most influential lists. All of that changes. All of that changes. But what is real, what is lasting, is who you are and what you were meant to bring. What is the gift you were meant to give? And nobody can take that away from you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. Want to make Mom's Day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack, fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. 
Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.